1: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. I'm your host, ADHD and Attention Coach Jeff Copper. Our topic, Understanding ADHD and Obsessive Compulsive Disorder, Part 2. We're going to get to the content in a moment. Before we do, we'd like to thank children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder for bringing this program to you. In celebration of that event, we're anxious to give away free digital copies of Attention Magazine. To get yours, just listen to our show. We'll be sharing a secret word a couple times. Write it down. Listen to another show um, and write down the secret word of that show and then just email me just the two words. That's all you need to do. Email address is attention at attentiontalkradio.com. When we get it, we'll forward it to Chad. We'll get you a PDF copy of the current edition of Attention Magazine and they'll send you a PDF copy of the next edition when it's in print. We have a little tip that we're going to share with you that Chad made and we'll get into the show.
2: You've heard it from organization experts and others. If you want to get things done, you need to keep to-do lists. If all the things you need or want to accomplish keep you up at night, you might think about spending five or ten minutes before bed writing down your list for the following day. Some people prefer to start their day by creating a list. Choose whichever works best for you. To learn more about time management and ADHD, visit chad.org.
1: Uh, On Capitol Hill for the ADHD community and working with different regulatory agencies on wording to make sure that uh, those with ADHD get the accommodations that they need in order to thrive. Again, for more information, to donate or to uh, become a member, go to chadd.org. All right, everybody. This show is a follow-up. This is part two of a part one series. Um, that we did with Dr. Roberto Olivardia years ago that we're re-releasing. I love Dr. Olivardia because it's a great way of taking complicated things and make it simple. Um, If you are listening to this for the first time, if you look down in the description, you can find a link to part one, which was aired last week. So uh, let's roll the tape. I hope you enjoy this.
2: I've been looking forward to the second part of our interview. So welcome back to Attention Talk Radio.
3: Oh, great. Thank you for having me.
2: Dr. Alavadia, in the first show that we did, cause everybody, this is a
1: sequel um, to a show that we did um, January uh, 2013, but on the first show, we really spent a lot of time defining what obsessive was, what compulsive was, how you can be O, just have the obsessive but not the compulsive opponent. We talked about the nature of OCD, how it's very intrusive, um, and the challenges, and we talked a little bit about the label, how some people... Um, refer to themselves as OCD when they're when they're really not obsessive or compulsive. They're just maybe very stringent about certain uh, areas or, or certain things. We also talked a little bit about the treatment, the behavioral treatment for OCD and, and exposure treatment, and, and which was fascinating stuff. What we didn't get into, and what I found fascinating that I'd like to cover here is you, know, you take a look at. Uh, ADD and the, the traits, the impulsivity, the distractibility, the risk takers, that type of stuff, and then you contrast it with some of the characteristics of OCD, um, order, maybe, I don't know if organized is the right word, they just seem to be kind of opposite, so can you talk about that a little bit, and then we'll just kind of get into a little bit more about OCD and ADHD, ADHD together?
3: Absolutely. Um, A lot of times, I treat many people who have both ADHD and OCD, and what's interesting is studies show that about 30% of people with obsessive-compulsive disorder also have ADHD. We don't know what percentage of people with ADHD have OCD, but that's a very high, what we call a comorbidity rate, um, a high association rate. So it's much more common than people think it is. And you're right, Jeff, in that it seemingly um, would be surprising because if you think about sort of the classic ADHD personality, somebody who's spontaneous, impulsive, um, a thrill seeker, uh, pleasure seeker, if we, if we kind of frame the hunters and the farmers, the ADHD people are definitely the hunters. And the classic OCD personality is somebody who's very planful, uh, thinks a lot before they act or speak, is overly cautious. Uh, very risk-adverse, and is oriented not so much around seeking pleasure, like the ADD personality, but really on avoiding anxiety, and they would be sort of more the farmer personality, the, the person who is really uh, finds um, a certain amount of comfort in structure and, and regimented uh, ways and routines of going through their day. So one might say how can both of these exist in, in the same individual, but actually they can in the sense of how these traits can look different uh, for different people. Um, that somebody can be impulsive in certain ways and yet be compulsive in other ways. And if we think of both ADD and OCD actually, almost on a spectrum of attention, that obsessive compulsive disorder is in the category of anxiety disorders, although in the new DSM, uh, the, the manual for psychiatric disorders, it's going to basically have its own category of the obsessive compulsive uh, disorders. But in a sense, OCD is an attention disorder as well. Um, people with obsessive compulsive disorder have many deficits in attention and executive functions. Uh, the difference is, though, that people with OCD are s- spending too much time in overfocusing on certain details, which then leads them to not pay due attention to other details. So, for example, Uh, if they're sitting in a college class that maybe the person with ADD is thinking about what they're going to have for dinner tomorrow night, and so they're getting distracted and they're not attending to the information that the professor is saying, the person with OCD might be trying to write down every single thing the professor is saying in notes, and as a result, you can't write down every single thing, and as a result, you're going to miss some things. So they're still, they're paying too much attention to certain things, which then leads them not to pay uh, a good amount of attention to other things that they need to do. People with OCD also have a hard time filtering out uh, irrelevant data, or data that might be of low priority. So basically, to someone with obsessive compulsive disorder, a lot of times, all information, is on sort of the same even keel. So if you look at hoarding, for example, people who are hoarders, and hoarding is a is a form of, a, of an obsessive compulsive disorder. The problem with hoarding is that people basically put the same amount of sentimental value in everything. And so they have a hard time throwing out anything because in a sense, everything has the same amount of, of value. They have a, vi- and people who are hoarders Uh, there's a very high association rate of ADHD in hoarders, and certainly people that I've worked with who are quite severe hoarders that I've found a very high prevalence of people with ADHD um, in terms of decision-making, executive function deficits, prioritization, organization. Um, People with OCD, particularly people who are quite obsessional, have a very hard time uh, filtering out obsessive thoughts. And if you have obsessive thoughts about... Um, whether it's that you have to pray 50 times or else you're going to go to hell, it's it's going to be very difficult, obviously, to pay attention to what you need to pay attention to. People with OCD have a hard time with transitions and anything that is of uncertainty or any sense of unpredictability, and many things in life are certainly uncertain and unpredictable. And if somebody is focused so much on the threat of any particular – or the possible threat of any situation – they might miss a lot of details that literally might be right in front of them. So if you think of OCD as an attention disorder, in a sense, then you start to kind of see how it might not be that much different than what we know about ADHD. Um, And people with OCD can certainly struggle in many ways uh, with school and things like that, but you also have people with OCD tend to be very highly perfectionistic in in personality trait. And so they might be compensating for some of those executive functioning deficits by uh, sacrificing sleep and doing things like that. I mean, I work with college students who might get straight A's at an Ivy League school, but they're working you know, eight hours on something that for someone else might take two hours because they're ritualizing the entire time. And if they have ADD as well, having a hard time sort of paying attention or or focusing. And so it's it's much more common. And then what we know, too, is that when people have bulls, it's very easy for one disorder to sometimes mask or disguise the other and I have found often the case is that people with OCD that I've worked with whose ADHD is is, misdi- is either undiagnosed at all or not even uh, looked at as part of the picture and it's very important if somebody has both to really understand how each plays a role in whatever issue that they're presenting with.
1: I, I I'm going to come back to that in just a second but when you're talking about OCD being an attention issue, I know um, in interviewing many people on the show, I've come to realize that ADHD, it really makes a lot of sense to look at it as a self-regulation issue. And attention is one thing you need to regulate. Emotions is the other. And there's two extremes to both sides. On the attention is not focusing on something and then focusing too much on something. On, in the emotion side, there's two sides of that too. So I think that I can kind of see how that makes some sense, that, that they might obsess and spend too much time paying attention to something as opposed to the other. The, the thing that's interesting to me, and, and Kirsten, I want to ask you, have you ever diagnosed somebody with both OCD and ADHD at the same time?
2: Uh, I have,
1: yeah. I, 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 Dr. Oliver, I, I want to get your thoughts on this, but i, I got to tell me, that's got to be difficult, I would think, to peel those apart and not have one mask the other. From, from your experience, can you speak to that a little bit?
3: Oh, definitely. I mean, I think that it it takes a very careful assessment of really understanding how um, the person operates and the things that they might be. Uh, having difficulty with, really understanding what is motivating that difficulty, um, the different scenarios, how much of it is emotionally driven. So, for example, to give you an example, I worked with a patient years ago who um, had uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder and would have certain rituals around hand-washing and symmetry, having to put things in um, their room uh, within twos, like in couples. So two mm-hmm. pencils had to be aligned, two books had to be aligned, and had to do that until uh, he got what's called the just-right feeling, which is a very common phenomenon for people with OCD that they talk about they just need that just-right feeling. And so he started talking, and then one day he said, you know, I always, before I write a paper, I always have to clean my room. He goes, but it doesn't feel like an OCD kind of thing. And I said, what, what do you mean by that? And he said, it's not like i um and he his ocd did not include any cleanliness i mean he had hand washing issues but his he really was not somebody who needed his room to be neat he was not a neat freak you know many people with ocd can be sloppy at the same time it depends on the form of their ocd he said i'm not anxious when i'm cleaning the room i don't feel like i need to clean the room or else something bad will happen he goes but i find that i just focus better not because I'm worried about the room being messy, but because it's just a visual distraction to me. And so I started to inquire more and more about this, and it turns out that... Um, he gets highly distracted in doing work but not by obsessive thoughts but by his thoughts just sort of wandering on other things um, that he found that if there was something on his desk he would start fidgeting with it that if he heard a noise outside of his college dorm room he would get up and see what was going on and then three hours would go by and uh, he still didn't get to his work um, that if there were a uh, clothing on the floor or something that he might start kicking around with his feet. Um, So it was more of what you hear for people with ADD um, in terms of his level of distractibility. We started to inquire more and more about this, and this was about maybe the third or fourth session I had worked with this young man, and it became very clear when we actually did um, sort of a, a more full assessment that he also had ADHD, and not only himself, but in his family, he actually had three siblings, two of whom had ADHD without OCD. They just had pure ADHD, and he had another sibling who had just OCD. Um, And if you we looked at his report cards, a lot of the things that Um, previous therapists, or or himself or his parents had always assumed was part of the OCD was actually um, more in some ways part of the ADHD and a lot of times what we found out is that some of his rituals actually were ways of compensating for his ADD so he would say that sometimes he would find he would get so distracted um, not by anxiety, obsessive thoughts, but just by distracted in the ways that many people with ADD get distracted. And then he would start to ritualize almost as a way of bringing his focus down, you know, the, a, a way of trying to get back to, to task. Um, and he would actually really, he would judge himself tremendously for not paying attention sometimes and being um, unable sometimes to regulate himself. And he had a lot of impulse control issues, that, um, again, people I, I don't think really looked at um, in terms of impulse control issues around food, around gambling, um, around sex and pornography. And all of these things were not related to obsessive-compulsive disorder. And I think how they were conceptualized was, well, maybe these are ways that, you know, if you're someone who's, who lives life in a very restricted Um, anxious fashion that these impulsive things might be ways of just letting out and kind of almost rebelling against that. And I've seen that happen sometimes, but this was clearly much more than that. And once we understood it through that ADHD lens, we really started to tease out, like, when it was obsessive-compulsive disorder rituals, versus when is when might he, he also found out, for example, that when he was bored or under aroused, it would almost give way to the obsessions coming into his head. So part of the way we treated the OCD was managing the ADD, that if he was able to keep himself healthily stimulated, then he could minimize, it didn't cure his OCD by any means, but it could minimize the level of obsessionality that he had, that he found that one of the um, biggest triggers, basically, for his obsessing was boredom. Wow. So, in the assessments...
1: What I'm, what you started this off with motivation, like what's motivating the behavior here and there, and I can kind of see the differences, but that's the clue for you, that, and then you go through the assessments?
3: Yeah, then, then I would look at um, really understanding when, when a person is having a, a difficult time either focusing or, or regulating um, attention or getting through just various executive functioning tasks, Um, I I really ask them to describe it almost from a a blow-by-blow perspective, you know, like what what is going on. Um, So, for example, if somebody has problems making decisions, that um, the person with OCD will often talk about it from the perspective of, I need that there is a perfect decision to be made, that there is a right decision and a wrong decision, and I'm trying to find the right decision. And, of course, most decisions are not that, black and white, you know, that it's really about finding um, a response or an answer that's good enough, and that's just going to work, and you basically have to tolerate the anxiety of the possibility that that might be the wrong decision, versus someone with ADD might say, you know, I have a hard time making decisions because I get so overwhelmed by all these options, and I don't even know where to begin kind of organizing them. And what th- that often leads to, actually, is them being more impulsive about making decisions. Just saying, "Oh, whatever, I'll just pick that one," because it's almost so taxing, and, and there's so much cognitive energy in being able to mull through all these different options. Um, so they're not necessarily looking for the perfect decision, and um, they often are just looking for something that just feels um, that feels good for them, that feels right for them. And so when I when I look at even situations like that, I ask you know is it something that's motivated by anxiety? Is it something that's motivated by um, more in uh, a difficulty in terms of breaking down tasks and uh, prioritizing and organizing information? And it's a very fine line. So even something like writing papers that um, you can have both an ADHD student and an OCD student who both could be stuck in writing papers, but the OCD person has a very hard time, let's say, starting on page one because they might struggle with perfectionism of trying to write the perfect thing, that they want it to be a, a straight-A paper, and every single word has to be perfect. The person with ADD might have a hard time initiating because either A, they just aren't motivated to do it, that they don't feel, they don't feel like doing it because it might not be Um, interesting to them. Or I've had many students, and I could certainly say this uh, about myself, is that many people with ADD don't like writing multiple drafts of a paper. So I remember in college having a very, it would take me hours to write page one, but Mm -hmm. not because I was looking for a perfect straight A paper. I just wanted to write one draft of the paper. And so I wanted it to be good um, not so much because I needed a straight A, but because I didn't want to have to go back to it. And I had to learn over the years, which I did, you know, the, the, the gift of a rough draft is, um, is very important to write. And I would write page one and it would take me hours, but then pages two through 20 would, I, I mean, I could do in, in, in a flash. Um, so sometimes it's, it's behaviorally, it can look very similar. And it's a matter of really getting in there and trying to understand all the intricacies of what might be going on in that situation. And more importantly, um, engaging somebody in their own mindfulness around the behavior, like what's like I thought it was very insightful that that my patient had said, you know, it doesn't feel like an OCD thing, that he he knew that there was something characteristically different about cleaning the room that was not ritualistic to him, and I can 100% relate to that because I used to do the same thing. I used to have to clean my room only because like if I could almost find any excuse to not do work and one of them would be oh well I have to clean my room or I have to do this and, and sometimes when you run out of excuses you then are just left with a task that you just have to do um, and that makes it easier
1: later in the show I want to come back to this mindfulness and metacognition thing and we need to go to a break here in a little bit but I know Kirsten you have a question
2: I do um, you know you've brought up a couple times um that working with ADHD, when things feel right, that's maybe when it clicks for somebody with ADHD. So I know, you know, if I've got a 100 topics because my brain just keeps going creating different topics when I've got an assignment in front of me, that ultimately when I sit down and I look at them, the one that feels right to me is the one that I'm going to go to. So mm-hmm. you said that people with OCD sometimes have difficulty prioritizing because everything gets assigned kind of that same level of meaning, for them, right. I'm wondering how do you help somebody with OCD then to figure out what's going to work for them?
3: Yes, part of it is almost um, along the lines of an exposure. That with some of my patients who might mull through certain decisions, the the treatment would be let's be impulsive and actually, uh, I mean, we can only reduce something so much, and then at, at the end of the day, we just have to make a decision and and let 's just make the decision, and um, you know most decisions don 't have disastrous you know consequences to them and basically what i 'm trying to engage the patient is is to, in' tolerating the anxiety that it might not be the perfect decision and that sometimes, you know, we make decisions that later on we think, oh, that probably wasn't the best, but we can only do the best we can with the information that we have in the current moment. And that's very tough for someone with OCD because they're they almost, lots of people with OCD actually don't make decisions because they're always trying to get more information and more information and more information to try, but then it, it leads them to be so paralyzed in trying to make a decision. So in those cases, I mean, I've had people in my office who, um, you know, they might have a, make, need to make a decision about one thing or another, and we say, okay, let's let's bring this down to three bullet points, and then when everything comes out even, we just literally have to just pick one or the other, and let's just pick it and go with it, and coaching them on just making a decision around it. And it's very anxiety-provoking for them because they're – they're oriented, people with OCD are oriented towards anxiety. They're oriented towards, I'm trying to avoid as much anxiety as possible. And the reality is when we make a decision, we are committing to something. And what that means to someone with OCD, it can feel very suffocating to them. It can feel like, oh my gosh, like I'm now, what if I realize this isn't the right thing for me? And engaging them that most decisions are, uh, you know, we can get out of them if we realize that they're terrible decisions, but we just make do with what we have in the moment, and that's very hard for people with OCD. Whereas some people with ADD have a hard time sifting through the proper sort of channels that you need to sift through to make a decision. They, they some, People with ADD are, are more oriented towards pleasure, and so what feels right, even though it might not really in other ways be the the best thing for them. And so I find with my ADD patients, it's sometimes like, oh, no, no, before you make that decision, let's, let's look at all of these and make sure you're considering everything from the whole picture. Um, and sometimes I've seen people with OCD who can be impulsive, but not because in the same ways that people with ADD, but because it's so... Um, it's almost like they they have come to this place of realizing I can't ever come to a perfect decision so I'd rather make just a random decision. And that we don't, I don't encourage that either because no, we ha- we want to be as informed about the decision that we're making. So some people with OCD compensate with their compulsivity by actually being quite impulsive. And so there's, again, a very fine line. So it's so important for any therapist to really assess from a, a, almost a step-by-step perspective where and what is motivating the person in whatever task or, um, or engagement that they're in.
1: Wow. Uh, Dr. Oliver, I need to run to a commercial break. Um, uh, before we do, for our listeners out there who might have a question want to get in contact with you, your email address is still Roberto.olivardia at hms.harvard.edu? Correct. Is that correct? Yes. And with that, we'll be right back after these messages. Our secret word is OCD2.
0: Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off.
1: Transform lives as a professionally trained ADHD coach at the ADD Coach Academy. ADHD coaching is in demand, a calling, and a career. Learn how you can change lives by going to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Managing ADHD is about pausing before you ponder and proceed. This opportunity to practice pausing is being brought to you by digcoaching.com. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio.
2: We are here with Dr. Olivardia doing our follow-up on the show about ADHD and OCD, and we were talking about how one of his clients, um, of many, I'm sure, who had both ADHD and OCD, um, and how one of the differences, one of the last things you said Dr. Olivardia was that for people with OCD, you know, making a decision is about making the perfect decision, and that sometimes with ADHD, it comes down to just making a random decision because you just want it off your plate. Right. Um, (laughs) I'm wondering, like, even, um, I'm wondering about people with OCD even getting into treatment because I, well, actually, let me back up. What I'm actually wondering about is the internal, um, distress that people with OCD experience seems to me like it would be almost more painful in some cases and I don't want to say that people with ADHD don't have some painful internal experiences but that, that desire for perfectionism, the anxiety that goes with OCD and just getting stuck on you know, one decision or one thing that you've got to do just seems overwhelming to me
3: Definitely. Uh, OCD, I, I think of OCD as one of the most tormenting disorders that I I treat and work with. And that's not to minimize all of the other issues that I I, I work with, but there is something um, particularly tormenting when your mind, and many research shows that people with OCD tend to be uh, quite intelligent or actually above average in in their intelligence, which makes sense that, you, you know, you almost, it's like a cognitive complexity, but gone awry, you know, on some level. So these are individuals who are very bright and very smart and often, have some insight that they are um, belaboring on something or that they are, are spending way too much time thinking about something or that they're ritualizing but they can't stop because there's something in their physiology that's telling them that they need to do it otherwise there's a worse fate you know that beholds them and even if that i mean for someone with ocd It's not just about getting an A, for example, on a paper for the sake of getting the A. For someone with OCD, they're thinking, I need to get an A in this paper because if I don't, then I won't get into a good graduate school. And if I don't get into a good graduate school, then I won't have a successful job. If I don't have a successful job, no one will want to marry me. I won't have a happy life, and I'm going to be miserable. That there, And I work with people who are in seventh and eighth grade who their perfectionism is driven by that line of thinking. And so if you imagine a 12-years-old to be thinking about, you know, being in your 50s and 60s and living a miserable life because you don't get an A on a science fair project, that's just, it's horrible. I mean, it's a very paralyzing way to think. And, you know, with ADD and OCD, even a lot of the things, like if we think about people with ADHD who often hyperfocus, which is that, um, so the person who the night before paper is due, they're able to get that 20-page paper written, a hyperfocus is is movement, you know, somebody moving through the task, but they are just almost singularly focused on that, like a, with laser precision. That is very different than in OCD, what we see is more of an overfocus, we call it, and that's the person who is Almost stuck on focusing on something, but they're not moving through the task. They're just kind of stuck with it. And a lot of times, hyperfocus and overfocusing get confused with each other. So sometimes I've had parents that say, "Oh, you know, they're they're so obsessive about um, when they're writing their paper or something." And I say, "Well, but are they getting the paper done? Like, are they moving through it? It's just that they're filtering out everything else." Um, and they say, well, right. yeah. And I said, well, yeah. You know, that's very common in people with ADD, particularly when they're under a deadline and there's a sense of urgency. You know, we call it procrastination propulsion. You know, that there's this idea that they're procrastinating, procrastinating. And then at the last moment, they're able to pull these things up. I said, which is very different than my classic sort of OCD patients who will sit at a blank computer screen for hours and hours and hours and hours, and they could verbally tell you even what they're going to write, but they just get very, very stuck with it. Um, And a lot of times, too, you know, what we call obsessive, could be sort of hyper-focused. So, you know, the person with ADHD who's playing video games for 12 hours straight because it's just wonderfully stimulating for them, um, I get, you know, some people would label as being obsessive, but from a clinical perspective, that's not an obsession. I mean, that's, that's somebody who's just... And I just, think we
2: talked about that last time when we were talking about um, some of it being like the pain of the over-focus in OCD is so much different than... Sometimes Definitely. even the pleasure that we're getting when we're hyper-focused because we feel so good and so productive Absolutely. Um, when you've got ADHD.
3: Definitely. And and the symptoms of both can actually sort of work with each other. So for people, patients I work with who have both ADHD and OCD, that they will talk about, um, for example, the distractibility that might come along with ADD. People with OCD welcome that sometimes, that they say, you know what, if the alternative of not being attentive is to be in my head and having these rituals, I welcome being kind of in la-la land. You know, I welcome being in my imagination and, and being distracted. And then the opposite is true, that, for again, patients who have both ADD and OCD will often say that, it's not that they are, in no way are they welcoming the obsessive thinking, but in some ways it can be very grounding for them if they find that they're anywhere but here a lot of their times and, and, and either being distracted or, or getting um, sort of taken in by other environmental cues, that there's something very grounding, that there's no question that when people are obsessing or they're ritualizing that um, they feel in some ways very present and very concrete. So uh, patients that I work with who have uh, trichotillomania, which is compulsive hair pulling, or dermatillomania, people who are compulsive skin pickers, I found a very high prevalence rate of people with ADHD in those populations because um, there is this obsessive element to it, but there's also a highly stimulating sensory element to both of those things as well you know pulling a certain hair and after people pull it they often roll the hair in their fingers and there's a pleasurable component to that it's not a ritual like i need to roll the hair between my fingers because something bad will happen it's this feels good it feels soothing but then of course when someone has a patch of baldness on the top of their head, there's nothing pleasurable about that. So it's this combination of these sort of compulsive behaviors, but then um, I, there's also these highly stimulating aspects to the behavior as well. And sometimes they work with each other in ways that um, can, can leave somebody feeling very confused diagnostically.
2: Mm-hmm. So, Is it? Is person? I, got at, I get asked, and ironically it's like three times a speak already, you know can you cure ADHD and I have my answer to that but <laughs> so my question is with OCD I get what the treatment is it's some exposure treatment and I, and I know that there's a lot more to it but is there such a thing as curing OCD
3: well I think I mean how I would approach that question with both OCD and ADHD is is Understanding it from the perspective of that we are born into this world with a certain wiring, and people with OCD people with ADHD are uh, there's a definitely a genetic predisposition to it, um, and that there is a wiring that we can look back or our parents can look back at our early life and even for people I work with with OCD, their parents will See, Oh, I remember when they were two or three that they got very upset, you know, that their buttons didn't line up the right way, but it just kind of came and went like it wasn't a big problem. So there is this aspect to both. people with ADD and OCD that is almost kind of a part of who they are. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean, though, that you're doomed to ritualize or or you're doomed to be um, stuck in sort of some of the executive function issues. But I, I don't think one can necessarily cure OCD, but one can absolutely manage it and work with it and use the traits that come along with that way of being. I mean people with OCD, I mean I've had patients who have gone on to be great editors, who gone on to be architects, who have gone on to be interior designers, all of which rely on Precision and if I have an interior designer or an architect, I want them to be perfectionistic. I want them to have a high visual acuity um, and attention to detail. And these are an editor relies on somebody who can literally see that every I is dotted and every you know T is crossed. Those are good careers for people who have that. Sort of orientation, provided that it doesn't, they don't get consumed by it or overwhelmed by it. So it's about regulating that. And even in ADHD, we talk about the regulation of um, one's spontaneity and one's impulsivity. Uh, There's a reason that many entrepreneurs and inventors and musicians and artists have ADHD, because those careers and those ways of of being really lend themselves to a lot of the sort of the positive features of ADHD. So I don't, I get very upset when I see books, you know, about curing ADHD because I, as, as someone with ADHD, I, I really feel it's more of kind of who I am rather than something that I have and re- recognizing that we all have traits of us uh, our, in terms of our physiology and our genetics and our neurology that carry with them strengths and carry with them weaknesses. So I, I don't look at it so much as as a gift or a curse. It just, it is. I mean, like every one of us has sort of strengths and weaknesses, and our job is really to navigate the pitfalls and trying to be proactive about them. Um, but with someone with OCD, it, it very much is, I've seen people who live ex- very healthy, functional, productive lives, but they do have to be careful about, Um, certain situations in which the OCD could get triggered, but once you learn, once you have your toolkit of strategies and self-talk and cognitive strategies, uh, you can sort of put out the fires as they come.
1: Dr. Oliver, before the break, we talked about, you know, mindfulness and earlier you had talked about uh, when you were talking to a person, you know, they had to really kind of focus and kind of go step-by-step through things. There's this metacognition, mindfulness piece of this, and I know when I'm coaching those with ADHD, it's kind of get them to stop and pause and notice what they're paying attention to so that they can then be a choice. It seems to me that somebody who has OCD and ADHD really needs, I mean, we talk about thinking about what you're thinking or the mindfulness or, or whatever term we're using. That's you really need to rely on that because a help diagnosis to realize hey this is not an OCD this is the an ADHD and blah 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 but to differentiate those two and know what tools to use in what situations is that is that perspective does that make some sense do you see that and the need for that heightened skill or awareness.
3: Oh, definitely, because even for people who have both, that I, I use the language with my patients that is this an ADD thing or an OCD thing, and really having people be specific about – which it is. And even, for example, in doing exposure therapy, what I found is that when, when you identify the ADHD, it's very important in terms of treatment implications because so behaviorally, as I mentioned in the last show, exposure and response prevention therapy is, is the most effective behavioral intervention for OCD, that you're, you are not going to help OCD by talking to someone four times a week, sitting on a couch about all of their fears and anxieties, that that was the old way prior to behavior. Behavior therapy and it wasted a lot of time and money for people. That behavior therapy is really the way to go. Now, in order for that to work, though, you you have to have somebody engage with their anxiety. So if if somebody has contamination issues and I have their hands on a dirty or they have their hands on a dirty toilet, I don't want them to distract themselves from that. They need to be aware. I I actually we have scripts that we write that say you know imagine. You know, whoever was sitting on this toilet seat before, that they might not have been clean, that they might, and all of those germs are going on your hands. And and it sounds so sadistic, but the, the purpose is actually to raise their level of anxiety so that they can eventually habituate to it or tolerate it. Now, what happens is that you have a hierarchy of exposures that you do with someone with OCD because you don't want to flood them. You don't want to traumatically flood somebody, but you do want to raise their anxiety. But what I find is that for people with ADHD, they're very good at distracting themselves out of their anxiety, which might be helpful, actually, as an adaptive tool in some situations. You know, certainly if you're on an airplane, let's say, and and you have a fear of flying and you find that you could then, eject out of the situation in your mind and think of yourself on a beach in Jamaica, that could be a very adaptive coping mechanism. Um, but in doing exposure therapy, I don't want the person going elsewhere, and my ADD patients definitely do that. So they can have their hands on the toilet, and they're not anxious, and I'm asking them, where are you right now? And they're saying, oh, I'm thinking about the movie I saw last night. I said, oh, no, 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 we, we need you to be grounded right here. And I found that for my ADD OCD patients, I've often had to start at a higher rung on the hierarchy of exposures to almost make it anxious enough that they almost can't be distracted from it. So that's sort of one of those implications as to why it's very important to make sure that we're identifying the ADHD and OCD. And then in terms of psychopharmacological approaches, that studies show that so the medication for ADHD typically Actually,
1: are the stimulant. Dr., can I get I sure. you there? Because I, I, I want to touch base on the treatment of them individually and combined when we come back from break. Sure. Um, but real quickly, again, it, just, it blows me away as you're, as you're talking, because if you're engaging them in the anxiety, they need to – if they're engaging in it, they're feeling it, but at some point in time, if they're going to overcome it, they've got to be able to kind of just notice it and be able to detach themselves – and that goes back to such uh, thinking about what you're thinking and noticing about what you're noticing in your mind. It just, it, it just blows me away. Um, effectively, when you're putting them in those behavioral treatments, in a way, would you say that you're actually kind of teaching them that?
3: That teaching them about engaging? Teaching them
1: to, to engage and then notice. And it's almost like a giant mind trick in your mind. <laughs> You put yourself in, you're engaging, and you're noticing, and then it's it's basically saying, okay, now how am I going to down-regulate this anxiety? Or what am I going to do to kind of put it in its place?
3: In some ways, I mean, with exposure therapy, actually what we're doing is almost proving to the patient that their fear is simply that. It's just simply a thought, it's yep. um, similar to if you were to watch a horror movie and the, the the guy with the machete jumps out of the closet and you go oh and, and your your whole body sort of jerks. If you were to see that same movie again, you might still have a heightened response, but it won't be as big as the first time you saw it because you know the guy's yep. going to jump out of the closet. Yep. Third time, fourth time, fifth time you see it, you may have absolutely no physiological reaction to it, and that's kind of what exposure therapy is: is you're basically training the person because they know, it's almost like with OCD, the brain is telling them there is a huge threat here, and the brain does not know the difference between a real threat and a perceived threat if we've assigned it. And so once people start recognizing, oh, this isn't actually a threat, then their physiology actually starts to kind of calm down, and then their cognitions start to change to say, oh, well, this can't be threatening if I'm not feeling it to be threatening. Um, and then the mindfulness piece definitely comes in that says, oh, I'm noticing that my anxiety level is down, so therefore this thing really can't be that yep. threatening because we are designed, human nature, we are designed to find dangerous situations very threatening. Wow. Well, I,
1: I need to run to a, a commercial break real quick. When we come back, I want to talk about more specifically the treatment of the two. Before we go again, if you, anybody has a question for Dr. Olivardi, his email is, R-O-B-E-R-T-O underscore O-L-I-V-A-R-D-I-A at e-d-u And with that, we'll be right back after these messages. Our secret word is OCD-2.
0: You're listening to Attention Talk Radio. We'll return in a moment. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio.
1: Change your life by learning more about managing ADHD other places give you a few tips the ADD Coach Academy will change your life to find out more go to addca.com slash ATR that's addca.com slash ATR
0: are you always late the time timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Could hiring an attention coach really help you move forward? (laughs) Does a child get wet when they dive into a swimming pool? You can get started moving forward today. Just call DIG Coaching Practice at 813-837-8084 and schedule a free consultation. Tell us you heard about us on Attention Talk Radio and get 50% off your discovery session. For more information, visit digcoaching.com. Don't delay. Do it today. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. We're here with Dr. Olivardia in our sequel to ADHD and uh, Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. Um, Dr. Olivardia, we've talked a little bit about behavioral therapy OCD we know of behavioral therapy and stimulants for ADHD what about when when individuals got both
3: definitely uh, that what we find so the 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 medication for ADHD is typically in the stimulant category. For OCD, um, the medication of choice are the SSRIs or the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And those include uh, things like Prozac and Zoloft and Luvox and Celexa, Lexapro. Um, And what they found is that when somebody has both, that the taking an SSRI does not impact uh, somebody's ADHD in any way. So it doesn't help the ADHD uh, or it doesn't hurt it. Uh, it, it. Or rather, it may help it only as so far as if somebody's depression or anxiety is, is exacerbating their ADHD symptoms, but it doesn't actually help um, directly with the ADHD. Now, however, stimulant medications often can exacerbate OCD symptoms. And so it's very important, again, that when somebody has both, um, that the stimulant medication has to be carefully assessed and monitored, that for some individuals, for example, some of my patients will say that when they take stimulants that they find it really it can help their OCD because they're better able to focus on what they're supposed to be focusing on, so they actually are better able to almost detach themselves from the OCD thoughts. Unfortunately, I would say that many, probably more of my patients um, feel that unfortunately the stimulant medication enables them to focus more on their obsessive thoughts. Um, which they don't want, and so it can actually really stimulate their anxiety. Now, some of the more non-stimulant medications, there isn't um, a lot of data, but just clinically I've seen a big difference. So for people who are on your, your Ritalin and Adderall, that those might exacerbate the OCD, whereas some of the other ones, uh, Concerta, Stratera, tend not to. Um, but again, the, the good thing about stimulant medication is that, it's very fast-acting and so you know within a day whether it's working or not and it cleans out of your system pretty quickly so um, some of my patients just go for a trial and just see what it feels like now, if somebody had to use one medication because the two might not occur very well together, and let's say if they're not having an effectiveness from a non-stimulant medication, then a decision is, to, is made as to which is the more sort of impairing of the conditions. And I would say nine out of ten times of patients that I work with, their OCD is far, far more impairing. And so they elect um, for taking the SSRI, and then we work in terms of um, behavioral or coaching around the ADHD. Um, and, you know, of course, doing you know, cognitive behavioral therapy and, and such. Um, and those are for people who might have a hard time doing both. And then there are some pe- patients I work with who don't prefer to be on any medication for either, um, at which point, again, a very intense behavioral protocol would be important. But um, there are some people either because of the sense of the, the depth of their depression uh, psychopharmacological treatment would be necessary, at least initially, just to, you know, if somebody can't get out of their house or can't move because they're so depressed, um, then you're going to need some medication as, in terms of trying to at least get them to a place to be able to do the behavioral work.
1: Well, it sounds to me like you have the medications and you have the behavioral work, and certainly the multimodal treatments help for those with ADHD but it sounds to me like it's even more important to have multimodal treatment for somebody who has both or somebody who has OCD. Is that an accurate statement?
3: Yes, definitely. To have um, that, that studies show for, for OCD, if you look at groups of people who just take medication, who just do behavioral therapy, who do both medication and behavioral therapy or who do neither, that uh, people who do behavioral therapy alone uh, or behavior therapy with medication actually fare almost equally, um, and then the second group would be people who are just on medication alone, and then of course people who have no treatment, which shows that behavioral therapy is very can be very very effective. I mean even without medication, um, provided that the person's depression is not um, particularly severe, um, and with ADHD. I've worked with many people who do not elect for medication, or children whose whose parents don't go that route, um, who can be very successful, without. contrary to what some people in the field might say, that could be very successful without having taken medication, provided that they are, again, it's sort of a combination of this mindfulness piece of being very aware of where their ADD kind of gets in the way, and then not being judgmental about needing to sometimes do unconventional or bizarre strategies to get through what one might have to get through. Wow.
2: Uh, Kirsten, you got any questions? I don't. I'm just being fascinated um, listening to all the ins and outs of this and considering what it would be like um, to have both OCD and ADHD. And of course, you working primarily with an ADHD population Jeff I'm sure you see a lot of people with a lot of anxiety and just at that level how uncomfortable it can be um, and how that can affect the ADHD but taking it to the level of OCD um, sounds like a lot of, it sounds like a lot of work <laughs> it's a lot of work and
3: you know who a celebrity actually who has both is howie comedian howie mandel um, wrote a wonderful book um where he talks about he has pretty significant obsessive compulsive disorder and um and the adhd was actually some the ocd has been he's talked about for years the adhd was actually something that has been sort of more uh, i would say newer in terms of him talking about it and He, um, in in his book, really details sort of how both of them kind of have worked in different ways. And and I think that, again, it it can shed light on people understanding that you could have both and that they can look, um, it can be very confusing and it can be very difficult, but really trying to sort it out. The other thing that's interesting, too, is what we know from genetic studies is that people who have ADHD, are more likely to have someone in their family with OCD and vice versa. And what's, what's very interesting about it is that there aren't really any genetic overlaps between the two in terms of chromosomal and, and some of uh, the neurotransmitters. But one of the theories actually that's been posited as to why we might see the two often in families is um, what we call non-random mating, which is that it's very common for people with ADHD to marry people who are kind of on the obsessive compulsive spectrum and vice versa. That if you're someone who's quite impulsive and spontaneous, It works well in your life to have a partner that's actually very not that way, (laughs) you know, who's very planful, who's very scheduled, who knows, who's very regimented, and vice versa. If you're someone who is very anxious and very rigid in some ways, it works well for you to have someone in your life that says, oh,
2: forget about the work today.
3: Let's go out and, you know, have fun, and let's do this, and let's do that. And so if you have couples that get together who are one who has ADHD and one who's on either has full-blown OCD or is on that spectrum, when they have children, both of those genes are going to mix in the genetic pool, and voila, you're going to have children, some of whom might have ADHD, because ADHD is highly, highly heritable, and some of whom are going to have OCD, which is also heritable, and some who have both. And that's just another thing just to consider, because I have many patients who have uh, one or the other or both, um, who have a sibling that might have one or the other or both. So it's, it's not but, uncommon in those families to see high genetics for both of them.
1: I'll tell you this. In the
3: 2011
1: CHAD conference that was in Orlando, Rick Green and Pat Mechanic were up on stage <clears throat> doing a presentation. There was a doctor with him. and I can't remember his name, but I remember him talking about... <clears throat> You have the logical mate, and then you have the more feeling mate. And you put pictures of like Princess Di and Prince Charles and said, which is more feeling? You go, well, Princess Di. Then he puts up Bill and Hillary Clinton. You go, well, Bill's more feeling. And it was weird because in that, if I recall correctly, the guy's like, think of it like a teeter-totter. If one person is 10% from the fulcrum, they tend to marry somebody that's 10% on the other side. Mm-hmm. If you're way out on an extreme, you tend to marry somebody out on the other extreme, and it provides balance. And that, whether it's true or not, I can tell you in my work with people, it seems to ring true because so often I'm dealing with an add who's relying on their spouse for the for the organizational type things, or sometimes they're relying, um, I mean, they're the entertainer of the group, they're the spontaneous type person. Yeah. So it's, it makes some sense to me why, you know, if you have ADHD, to marry somebody who's more organized just so you can get up and get out of the house in the morning. So just fascinating Kirsten I I too like you this has been I've learned so much between the last show and this show um it's been absolutely amazing what stands out to me is is just how intrusive OCD really is and how that crowd the ability to kind of notice what's going on be very mindful is is really I mean it's important for everybody particularly important for that crowd so um before we wrap stuff up, any, any last comments or anything that you'd like to share with our listeners, uh, Dr. Olivard here?
3: Sure. I, I guess I, I would comment that if you suspect, if you have either OCD or ADHD and you suspect that you have the other, um, really make sure that you're getting a careful assessment. Um, and it might be helpful to actually meet with somebody who has expertise in the other area, let's say, who can help kind of tease out Because it is very important, again, diagnostically, that if you have both, to really, to work with both. Because um, otherwise, if one of them is missed, it can really put people into, they can often feel very frustrated. And for therapists out there who might be listening, that it's very important also to just keep an eye out. Because, for example, you know, I have many OCD patients who, who have ADHD, who might be tardy for sessions, who don't do their quote-unquote homework, um, and it's not that they're being resistant. It's not that they're not caring about the work. It could be that they actually have a lot of these executive function issues that are related to ADD. And sort of the notion that the OCD person always does their work and always um, that might that that picture might be changed a bit if it turns out that they also have ADD. And so just to be aware of that, that uh, association, I think, is important. Because, again, to know that 30% of people with OCD have ADHD is very high. Um, and it should—it almost should be part of the assessment if you're working with people with OCD to look for ADHD. Absolutely.
1: Uh, Kirsten, any final comments?
2: No, but I... The fact that I should be paying attention when I'm looking at people who have more anxiety and OCD is definitely something that I'm going to take away from this and be considering more fully. So thank you for sharing that, Dr. Olivardia.
1: Dr. Olivardi, thank you so much for coming on the show. This, this has been very enlightening. I I've learned, I think I've learned through the top top five for sure of all time. So thank you very much.
3: Oh, thank you for having me.
1: As a reminder out there, if you would like to contact Dr. Olivardi, his email address is roberto underscore Olivardia at With that, uh, we'll close the show. Take care, everybody. Catch you next week for a great edition of Attention Talk Radio.